All right, let's open your Bibles eventually. Uh, we're gonna, I, you will, uh, you'll land tonight. Uh, for the most part, for the most part, you will land tonight in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to look at some passages from there. I'm going to reference a couple of other ones that uh, agree with, that partner with, that echo that a little bit. Um, and I, 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 if you were in service this morning, I warned you what I, we were going to talk about tonight. Is that right? Yeah, I warned you. I warned you. I, we were going to get out there. We're going to talk about that. Uh, the the we're going to talk about tongues tonight. The here the title tonight is the uh, is the is simply the verse First uh, Corinthians fourteen five from the New American Standard simply says this. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Uh, now that is um, that's good. It's pretty good for New American Standard. I I would like I would it's it really I I want that you all that you all to speak in tongues uh, that it, the, it's the the NASB is not wrong because it's the NASB so it can't be just kidding but uh, <laughs> but uh, the force of the text and I'll explain that a little in a little bit uh, that you all spoke in tongues that sounds like that sounds like gosh that almost sounds like you know like a, some sort of an heiress like I wish you sort of would. But that is a that that's an that's an uh, an an infinitive. It's to speak. I want. I wish that you all. I wish you all to do this, not that you did it one time. So that's the title tonight. I wish you all to speak in tongues. Or we're we using that in the infinitive sense. So would you say that with me, please? I wish you all to speak in tongues. Let's say it again. I wish you all to speak in tongues. That's why we're here tonight. We're going to talk about that now. I don't want to every single time I get together on a Sunday night to have to go back and unpack and do all of sort of the, the, the all of the disclaimers and stuff that sometime that somehow because of how many hundred years of, of, of modern Pentecost anyway, we, we have to keep re-explaining or, or re, uh, re, redefending or whatever it is. Uh, we've talked about power and purpose and what it's for and that that jesus the initial idea behind this whole thing is you that something will happen to you you will receive something power from the holy spirit and this this coming upon you will make you witnesses not make you go witnessing although that will include that but you'll actually become you'll actually become living evidence of a risen christ okay the power of the holy spirit in our life the purpose of that power is to make us Living evidence. You're, you are the proof Jesus is Lord. Now, if you let that, if you, we can all say a quick amen to that, but if you let that sink in for a minute, that should, that should have a quite a significant, uh, that, should have it own, that, that it should have its own field of gravity. It's so significant. You are the evidence that Jesus is Lord. Jay said a couple times today, you're the plan. You're plan A. You're the A team. There is no plan B. Bumpity you're A team. Okay? That's uh, a TV. All right. But uh, you're the plan. And, and, and I, 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 don't, I don't mind the A team as a metaphor because it, 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 it includes all kinds of crazy characters. Well, welcome to church. Okay? You are the evidence. God's plan to persuade the planet that Jesus is Lord, and to trust Him as Lord is to leave you 
not a diagram, not even the book. The book, we live by the book. We're thankful for the book. The book, is, is the, we can't follow Jesus without following the Bible. Some guy on Twitter asked me that the other day, do you follow Jesus or the Bible? And I, I, my answer was, yes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Jesus didn't differentiate between following his words and following him personally. Okay? We're thankful for the, for the word of God. We're thankful for apologetics. We're thankful for facts and figures and all those things. But the, the, Jesus said, you're the evidence. So I, I, I almost promised myself I wasn't going to go through this again. But just for the so that everybody's on board here. The purpose of Pentecost is to leave a church anointed, filled, a charismatic community that remains as the evidence of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and that charismatic community becomes a temple, a place where God's spirit lives and, and acts, where we are a house of worship and a house really of theophany, of God encounter, where we encounter the presence of God in a very real way, not in a way of remembrance. We, are not, we don't wear funny hats with tassels and go through certain rites and just pass on traditions. We steward the presence of God and pass that on from generation to generation. Okay? So that's the promise of Pentecost. That's the, that's the intention, the purpose. The, the experience of Pentecost we read about initially, as we talked about last time in Acts, Acts 2, where they're gathered together. We've talked about all of that, and I talked too long about it, uh, so I won't do it again. But there it is, day of Pentecost, what that meant, all the symbolism, the event. They are all, everybody say all. They are all, we talked about the wind and the fire and all the Old Testament metaphors, the things that it brings up, all the things that this should, that should strike us and, and, and cause great, great, great wonder and awe inside of us. And, but the big deal was not even the, the wind or the fire, but the person of the Spirit himself that filled every believer. There's the, there's the significant event, that, the, the transaction, if you will. And then the expression that followed that experience was, and they all, they, the same all that were all filled, they all did what? Spoke with or in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As the Spirit forced them? No, as the Spirit enabled them. There was a a partnership, a willingness, and we kind of highlighted this last time as well, that people oftentimes... Uh, I've heard people say, you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord came. Well, boy, when I, was, when I experienced the Spirit, I just couldn't help it. Yes, you could, but you just didn't want to. You were so divinely wooed that you, that, that you yielded without any resistance. And that is the way, Andrew Murray said, that is the way that we should respond to every promise and intention of God is to receive without resistance. Would you all say that phrase out loud with me? Receive without resistance. What does resistance sometimes look like? Resistance may look like unbelief. Resistance may look, may, may look like a, a feeling of unworthiness. A f- resistance might look like, oh, uh, that's not for me, or fear, or whatever. There's a host of things. Sometimes resistance looks like, um, uh, it looks like someone who has been wounded or hurt or frightened so that they stand off. Resistance doesn't mean I'm putting up my, I'm making a sour face and putting up my dukes, although it could look like that. Resistance is just anything that we do to pull ourselves away from receiving. So receiving without resistance. So the Holy Spirit enables us. He gives us the capacity, but our will is still involved. And then we, and we have this expression in other tongues. And we talked about that last time. So having said all of that, we come now again to tonight. I want to just talk about this 
this, this unique supernatural expression, glossolalia, speaking in other tongues. And for some, speaking in other tongues, some folks, when, it, when, you, when you want to bring up tongues, some folks are just anti-tongues altogether. And, and, uh, and there, there are some historical reasons for that. I don't agree with them, but there, there's a concern that, that basically the idea is that they, they relegate tongues to a, a sign gift that's supposed to signify, signify uh, uh, a, revelator, a revelatory period, like the, the period where the New Testament is being recorded and, 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 and inscripted and preserved. And in other words, revelatory periods, they say that's like, like the, 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 the times where the, are the parts of the canon are are put together and completed, those seasons, they say, are accompanied by sign gifts. And, and, and then when those seasons are done, then necessarily those type of sign gifts must lift. And, it's, and really, it's an intent, the intent is to protect the Word of God. The intent is to say, well, we want to protect and not add to or detract from the, 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 the sacredness and the authority of Scripture. So therefore, we, we do this. If anybody starts talking about sign gifts, we say, ah, 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 don't you dare. You're trying, to act, you're trying to add to the Word of God, to the Scripture. I understand that. I just don't agree with it, <laughs> okay? Because the, there is nothing in the... It, nothing at all in the words of Jesus or the apostles about this experience of, of spirit baptism with the expression of speaking in other tongues that has anything to do with the codification or the canonization of Scripture. It, is, it, is as, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with worship and prayer and the expression that follows an experience that is promised to, to, to them, to their children, and to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Other folks are anti because people are crazy. You may not believe this, but over the last hundred or so years, occasionally some people give other people reason to think we're nuts. (laughs) Uh, Nobody in this room. By crazy, I mean uh, people uh, practicing excess Sometimes even enthusiastic excess that's erroneous. Um, uh, Charles, Charles Fox Parham uh, and, their, and the Topeka crew in, the, in, in, that in 1900, when they first, uh, when they, they rediscovered this experience for themselves and they began to uh, pray and, 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 and began to speak in other tongues, you can read the historical documents. They started labeling everyone's language. Well, this person's speaking Chinese. This person's doing this and the other. And you know what? I wasn't there. And you know what? There was a lot more uh, new immigrant, immigrant Chinese people in that period of time with the railroad and all that. They very well may have known Chinese. I don't. They might have said, well, we've heard that. And it very well may have been Chinese. Who am I? To, I don't care. But the point is they started saying, they started labeling everyone's language, and many of them decided they had uh, received a specific language and actually relocated to foreign countries and tried to use that language to engage in missionary work. And th- we think that's nuts, except for, a f- and, and, and it only worked a few times. It worked a few times. Okay? 
Some people, that it, it, it worked. Other people, it didn't. But, there, but, but again, there's nothing per se in Scripture that would prescribe that specific behavior. The Scripture doesn't say you're going to receive a language to go and speak to nations, and therefore you should. No, 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 no. It doesn't even, Jesus didn't even say you're going to do this. All, all these things were, we see more described than prescribed. It is a, it is a Godward language. It is a language of the Spirit that is directed toward heaven. It engages with heaven. What, so, so the answer really should be, well, what's, who is the real audience of spiritual language? God. Okay? And, 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 and if we'll keep that in mind, it would even preclude some of the Corinthian error. Some people are anti-tongues, or they're, at least they're open to it, but they want you to follow all of the rules. And by the rules, they mean the, the, the way that they interpret what Paul said to the Corinthian church as if Paul was writing a lesson for how to do everything. No, he was actually just trying to help the Corinthian church simmer down a little bit. And what he said to them was that, that specifically what they were doing, what we understand what they were doing was they were trying to talk or teach to one another in a spiritual language because it sounded way more spiritual than with their understanding. Right? It sounded more spiritual, and since they wanted to be more spiritual, they were talking to each other in tongues, and no one understood what they were saying, but they all patted each other on the back. Right? And Paul said, stop. No one, you're not edifying anyone because no one understands you. Okay? So what he said was, and so what they were, and so and he kind of gave them a solution. If you're going to do that, pray that you might interpret. Pray that there would be an, an interpretation to what you're saying so that other people can understand and be edified. And then he said... And if you're going to do that, and then I'm kind of splicing together the text, he said two or two at the most three. So a lot of people say, that's it. Anybody going to speak in tongues? Only two people or three, no more. After that, you're sin. No, it's not sin. Why do you suppose, have, and as you've been in Revelation now, we've heard a few things, why do you suppose, get your, get your good, get your good Paul, Paul grown up as a trained Pharisee hat on. Pharisee, not a bad thing. It just means someone who loves the Bible. Okay? Why would Paul say two or three? Deuteronomic witness right? If God has something to say, he'll confirm it through the mouths of two or that's it. Ta-da, there's the magic two or three rule. It's, or, and you might even go so far as to say this. Paul might even have gone so far as to be saying, you know what? If God has something to say, he really only needs two or three people to say it. In other words, we don't need to hear it 17 different times the same concept. We, we should maybe move on to something else or another concept or another thing. He's just trying to coach the Corinthian church into doing something that makes sense and it's edifying. But that had to do with their, their trying to communicate or prophesy to each other. It was not with respect to just this Godward expression of prayer and praise. If I'm not talking to you or trying to get your attention or whatever, but I'm just worshiping the Lord, I don't, you don't need the interpretation, especially if I'm not even talking to you. You don't really need to be listening to me per se. And that goes back to what we're talking about in Acts chapter 2. Okay, they, you might, a lot of people say, hey, the the people down below, they began to understand. We explained that a long time ago. I can't go into it tonight, but that was a miracle of hearing because it would have been impossible for them to understand these Galileans, each one in their own heart. Like, how is it that each one of us hear them? That's impossible, they're saying. How come I can hear them in my language, but you hear them in yours? That's not possible. That's because there was a miracle of hearing in that moment, but nobody upstairs knew that anybody downstairs could understand them. So you can't say, well, there has to be. They didn't know anybody could understand. They were just worshiping God. All right? So there's that. Some people are anti. Some people are open but cautious. Some people want the rules to be followed. Here's the deal tonight. 
when it, as, as, a, as a classical Pentecostal baptized in the renewal movement and the charismatic movement and, 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 and hanging out with word of faith people. In other words, I've been in a lot of different water. Uh, here's the deal. I pray in tongues. I do so a lot, and, I, here's, and one of the reasons why I want to share this tonight is really personal. I intend to do so even more. And I hope to encourage you to do the same. When, no matter where you are on that track, hey, I'm, I'm suspicious, I don't understand, hey, follow the rules. Let's just let the Scripture, let's just, as, as Dr. My, 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 my professor, Dr. Nunnally said, let's just turn over some rocks. Let's look at the evidence and let the evidence speak to us a little bit. A lot of, some folks will pray in the Spirit or pray in tongues, and I, I think I've noticed this in my own life and other people's lives. And, you know, it's not uncommon to hear people kind of just rattle off or just kind of I used to knew a guy who would just, just kind of, it seemed like he was praying in the spirit, but he wasn't engaged. But here's the thing is, so we, we can do things without having an informed faith. Even the Sadducees knew the Bible. When Jesus said, you are in error because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God, we should not hear Jesus saying, oh, the Sadducees didn't know the Bible. They had the Bible memorized by the time they were 12. M- memorized. So they knew the, what the Bible said, but they didn't know it. They, they, later on, Paul will say, he, he will explain that what they heard was not mixed with faith. So it's, it's, when it's important for us to bring an informed faith to anything, even this, this gift, this expression of glossolalia, of, of speaking in tongues. Let us, if, I believe that if we'll let the Word kind of bring some informed faith to it, that all of us can, can derive more from it this exercise, this expression. Does that make sense? Well, are, will you try it? Yeah. All right, good. I don't know why. Sometimes it's, I know it's hot and people are looking at me like, but look, you showed up, so we're here. All right? I didn't force you. Uh, <coughs> what are tongues? What do we mean by tongues? I'll say it again. Tongues is or a spiritual language. It is supernatural. It really is. My goodness sakes, I don't want to get distracted by my own notes here, but it's, it's a supernatural thing. It is supernatural. It is, it, is, it is given and is supplied by the Holy Spirit. Can, if you, just think about that just for a minute. How many, I shouldn't raise your hand, but I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But how, have you, does anybody here just, have you, ever, have you ever found yourself praying or speaking in tongues and you're not in church, you're not gathered in, in the church building? Has anybody, has anybody ever here prayed in tongues uh, somewhere other than church? What about um, in your car? What about like in a park? Uh, anybody just, or, or in a random isolated place somewhere? Anybody? Anybody? Do you want to think about what that, can you, can you lean into that for a moment and think about what that means? That means that in, at any place, at any time, by an act of your faith, you, there, you can have, there can be a supernatural encounter there. Here's what I will say to myself oftentimes, especially if I'm traveling, I'm overseas, and I feel alone, or I'm like, and there's nobody here. Primarily what I mean is no, Mrs. Dav isn't there, you know, so I'm like, I'm half of me, you know, and I'm feeling intimidated. I'll tell you this right now. Like the last time I was, the last time I was in the Philippines, and, and we were doing crusades, and there was this sea of humanity that I've never seen before in my life, the need that was in front of me was, uh, I took my breath away. The people that came, because we invited them, and they said, fine, we're coming, and they were just a massive need of humanity. 
and I was on, I'm 16 hours away, and I got, I've got no backup. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I gotta, I'm supposed to do something, you know. And in that moment, I will begin to pray in tongues for lots of reasons. But here's one reason. Here's what I know: that that is a supernatural, miraculous event. It's supernatural. It's miraculous, and it's happening right where I'm standing. So if that can happen, anything can. If that supernatural, miraculous thing can happen here, then anything can. Okay? And so I, I think about that. And so you think, well, gosh, that's all, that's re- we could go, I think we could go home now. That is a good enough reason to, to practice, to exercise this thing. It is. It's supernatural. But it's volitional. That's a good uh, when I grew up, I, I say that's a good assembly of God word because I, I, it was a word I learned in Royal Rangers and in and Foundations for Faith, volitional. Everybody say volitional. So if it's important, and I heard Laura Lee say because she heard it growing up, uh, uh, it's important because I was in my Master O Divinity work and, uh, in the New Testament, whatever it was, and uh, I remember my, all my Southern Baptist buddies, we were talking about stuff, and the, the, the subject happened to be about tongues, and they said something about, one person said, oh, it's ecstatic. It's an ecstatic expression, and they weren't wrong, meaning it's a, it's a spiritual ex, ecstasy type of a thing. But what they were describing was this, 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 this uh, like, you're all hepped up on goofballs. Uh, like, I'm uncontrolled. <laughs> Some of people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of your faces are, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, but it, they, they describe it, like, meaning ecstatic, like, you are, you are overcome by some external spiritual force, and you know, like you know, you hover above the ground, and your eyes roll back, and rah, 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 rah. that's some sort of a. But that was the way it was being described in class. And so when I raised my hand, and I'm, and I'm you don't know this, but the, for, for the first two years of my master's work, I spoke. I did not talk. I said nothing. I know you think that's impossible, but it's true. I said, but I raised my hand and I said, volitional. And they said, what's the, what do you mean? How, what volitional is is an act of your will, and that. That what? Nope, that did not connect with the room, but that's the, the it's important to understand. It is supernatural, but it's volitional. It is something that the Holy Spirit enables us to do as we decide to do it. It is, as Paul will tell us this later on, he'll, when he uses this language back and forth, it is your spirit praying under the influence and the, 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 the enablement of the Holy Spirit. So it really is your, the Holy Spirit and your spirit in concert. And why is that so important? Because it takes away. You ever, ever heard people say, oh, God, just make, I just want to be a funnel. Just make me a funnel. I, don't ever pray that. The Lord doesn't want you to be a funnel because the, a funnel is unaffected by what passes through it. And we're not funnels, we are incarnational. We, it is, we are the, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and partner with your spirit in a transformative way and expression. And in that expression, that's how you are edified. There is something that happens as the two of you are in this dance together. So important. You don't, you're not just boop, turned off. And that's why I would encourage you, when, we'll talk about this, I think, at the end if I get there, that as we, when you practice or exercise this expression, don't just, you know, people turn off their minds. They stop thinking. They, they, you know, do math or watch TV because they say, well, Paul said the mind is unfruitful. What he means is the, the, it's, not, it's not a fruit of your mind. You're not thinking this up, but your mind can be fully engaged even though it's your spirit who's at the wheel. We'll talk about that. I think I already did. Enough of that. 
Okay. Um, as it, it, we talked about the fact that it was a, it's significant. Tongues is all, it's all these things. And the first time we see it, we see it as a sign of the Spirit's coming. Not a sign of canonization, but a sign of the Spirit's coming. And, and, and we don't believe that the Spirit has stopped coming. We don't believe the Spirit has left. He's not Elvis. He hasn't left the room. He's here, and He's present, and He's moving, and He's filling, and we're supposed to continually seek this infilling. And as such, we should expect that this expression of His infilling should remain in the church. Amen. Okay. It's so important for you to understand that, that in exercising or expressing tongues, this involves your will. It involves your surrender your trust, your acceptance of God's acceptance of you. You have to believe that. If I've seen it, I mean, I've done this for a couple of times, (laughs) and oftentimes when I see people having a a resistance to receiving has to do with bad doctrine or bad experience or they simply can't accept that God accepts them. But I feel surrounded. It's a beautiful thing. This is a result of not nothing that you've purchased, but of, of Christ's purchase of you. And we said it, it's his idea. It's his idea to move in, as Jay said, to move in at home with you. Menno, to dwell, to abide, just like, just like the boat on Gilligan's Island that never left. That's how I remembered that Greek word. Minnow. He comes and crashes and never leaves. When we speak in tongues, we are experiencing and we are exercising a sign. This is so cool. I don't want to get off on this too much because you'll know me. I get up. But we are, we are saying, same Holy Ghost. Would you all say that with me, please? It is, and that's so important that we believe that. That when that's the way we got to get our, we have to engage our faith and not just engage in empty behavior, but bring an informed faith with us. When I pray in the Spirit, when I speak in tongues, among other things that I am doing, I am anchoring to this fact that I am experiencing the same Holy Spirit that Peter and John experienced in the upper room. No less than they, no more, no, no less volume. No lesser of a person, same Holy Ghost. How do I know? I'm doing the same thing they did. Because that's what they said. When they saw the Gentiles, when they saw others, they said, oh, look, they received the same way we did. It was important for them to understand that it was the same. It, was, it, 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 uh, it didn't make anybody more saved. They are already saved. We've talk, I've talked that forever about that. It's not an indicator of salvation whatsoever. It is a gift to the saved. It is a gift to the saved. Say it again. It's a gift. It's a gift to, just like the law at Sinai was a gift to those redeemed. It's a gift to the saved. And this, and it's, and it's, and it, Peter said, oh, they have this, they receive the same way I do. And when I speak in tongues, when I pray in the spirit, it gives me confidence that the very same Holy Spirit that was alive in this book is alive and at work today. Man, we should believe that. That should help us. That should quicken our faith. But it's more than a sign. It, it was an, it, initially, it was, it was an act of worship and an expression of prayer from the very beginning. So I'm saying we should, 
worship and pray in the Spirit or in tongues. All right, why should we do that? Other than the fact that we can, and other than the fact of the, of the beautiful nature of the gift itself, why should we? Let me just say, now let's come back to our main text in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. First, <coughs> the first reason that I think we, we you know, Paul, is this. <coughs> first, I believe that it is presented in 1 Corinthians 14 as an imperative, or if I can, I don't think this is an actual, you won't find this, I think, in the Greek uh, lexicon, but an implied imperative. I'm going to make that up. I'm going to do a PhD on the implied imperative. Be famous for nothing, okay? But I think it's an implied imperative, and that is 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5. Now, let me, let me just uh, back up to verse 4. He, Paul says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. We're going to come back to that. One who prophesies or speaks by the, one who speaks in, in a tongue is speaking by the Spirit in a spiritual language, in a, in a language unknown to the speaker and usually to the hearer, does so to edify themselves. One who prophesies, which is speaking by the Spirit in a known, understand, understandable language, that, that edifies others. BT dubs, what does that mean? That means every time the Spirit speaks, he edifies. If it's not edifying, it's not him. Right? It's not him. You're not speaking by the Spirit when you gossip. <laughs> right? And if you're hearing a voice of accusation or shame, that's not him either. Okay, that's that voice that you're hearing. If it's not edifying, it's not him. All right. Verse 5. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now, and then, and then the, but even more, that you would prophesy, and greater is he who prophesies than he who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So the context of this whole thing is the church gathered for worship. In that context, he says some things that, are, that aren't limited by the context. Okay, so uh, meaning that he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. That's not, that's, that, he's, that, is, that is not a contextual restriction or prescription. He's just stating that as a fact that, that rises above the context of the church gathered for worship. In other words, I can speak in tongues and edify myself whether I'm here or there, whether I'm at home or I'm in the auditorium or I'm in my, the green room praying. Okay, that is not limited by the context. Contextually, he's saying, when you're in the church and you want to minister to each other, you should prophesy because people understand what you're saying, right? Especially, uh, yeah, brace yourself. Especially if you say, call them by the right name. Ooh, oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, I warned you, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but it was good, right? That was a good one. Anyway, no, what I'm saying is I'm trying to honor my friend Jay. He stands up and he says, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying this, and people hear that, they understand it, and they, after that, they are edified, built up, to edifice, to strengthen, to make more of, okay? It strengthens them. And so that's what happens when we're communicating to each other. If, that's why Paul says, if you're going to speak in tongues out loud toward someone else, do so with an interpretation so they understand, hey, I feel the Spirit saying this, and I might even hear it in a spiritual language. That, that used to happen a lot in different uh, Pentecostal circles and churches. People would have kind of a message or a, a thing in tongues, and then there'd be an interpretation. And a lot of times, uh, I think that we're learning, people are learning, it took us a while to figure out that, there's that, what, that interpretation probably was prophetic in nature, but we should think that it should be Godward mostly, but then 
You just can't put them in a box. Because then people say, hey, you had that message in tongues, and it was that strange language that I knew on the mission field, and it was exactly right. And then it just blows our mind, and then we all just fall over dead because God's amazing. <laughs> but here, he's speaking about, this is, that this is so the first part of verse 5 is not prescript, prescribed to the context because it, it wouldn't fit. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He doesn't mean that in church, every, I wish that you all were speaking in tongues to each other in church. He doesn't mean that. What he means is, as individuals, as a practice, I want you all to do this. That's why he says, but in church, you know, let's, let's be careful about what we're doing. But, he's, but the idea is, as an expression, as a spiritual exercise, I phalo, which is an expression of preference, I think we've talked about this. The Greek has at least two different words for willing or want or desire or wish. One is permission. One is preference. Okay, if you said, hey, can I sit down next to you? I'd say, sure, go ahead. I don't care, right? I'd be like, fine, that's permission. But if your wife said, may I sit next to you? You'd say, well, yes, please. It's my preference. Thalo is preference. Paul said, it's my preference preference. I want everybody to do this. I want, it's the same word that Jesus said to the leper when he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, oh, I I would be delighted. Okay? Paul's expressing, it's my preference that everybody, that all of you, and it's a second person plural, everybody, I want, my preference, that all of you to do, to speak in tongues, to continue to do this. It's a continuous uh, infinitive. Keep doing it. I want all of you to keep speaking in tongues. That's what he says. So, just right there, if you were just going to pause right there, for me, that's, honestly, that's good enough. Why should I speak in tongues? Because Paul said he wants all of us to do it. If Paul thinks it's a good idea, anybody think that we should vote with Paul? All right. I think there's even more. I think it's an implied imperative. I want you all to do this. But I think there's a direct imperative here. And you might want to push back. You might want to put your dukes up. That's okay. I don't mind. Uh, But ring it. No. Uh, uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, when Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. (laughs) There's a book that's being... (laughs) written that's called Same Holy Ghost. That might, if that sounds familiar, then you might know who's writing it. But uh, there's a book that's written called Same Holy Ghost, and in that there is an argument that is laid out that every reference to the Spirit and His work in the New Testament is made from the paradigm or from the frame of reference of the upper room of Pentecost. Because everybody who, who wrote the New Testament shared that that upper room, that Pentecostal experience. Everybody who wrote had a Pentecostal, not not denominational, but Pentecostal in terms of how it's described in the Bible, have this this coming upon of the Holy Spirit with charismatic expression, every one of them. So Paul, he too, we know he's a a glossolaliac, and if I haven't proved it, I will in a minute. We know Paul's a glossolaliac. We know he's had this experience in the Spirit. We know he's a spiritual man, and then so... Then he says to his audience, who he has also led in the Spirit to receive the Spirit, because he describes his ministry as one, my ministry came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He literally came demonstrating the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was his ministry, powerful. He tells them in in Ephesians, 
that he says, when you believe you were sealed with the Spirit, all these things, pray in the Spirit. I believe that what Paul is saying, he, he absolutely includes, if he doesn't specifically intend, that they are praying in tongues there. Now, is it possible to pray in the Spirit without praying in tongues? Yeah, yeah, of course. We can pray with an awareness of the Spirit, in partnership with the Spirit. The Spirit can be talking. I can pray in the Spirit or under the influence of the Holy Spirit for faith and in a way that she can understand and, and in, a, in a kind of a prophetic way. Has anybody ever had someone pray with them in a prophetic way and they said some things that just went boom, boom, boom? It just ministered to you. It helped you. There was breakthrough there. That's praying in the Spirit, of course, isn't it? So obviously it can include understandable language, but it cannot not include praying in tongues. It can't not include that. What I'm saying is, between, at least between these two passages, I really think that what, what the Apostle Paul wants the church to be those who regularly, often pray in tongues, speak in tongues. Is there a difference between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues? No, because you're talking to God. <laughs> Unless you're speaking out loud, there's an interpretation, then we might call it a message and, or whatever, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. I still think it's God's word, but I won't fight you on that. Okay? Rome, there's more. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy, he's saying the Holy Spirit helps us pray. If I weave these together, if I just look at these passages, I am seeing that, that Paul absolutely believes that the Spirit is present in our lives in, in at least this way, in this, this expression, to help us to pray. And when we don't know what to pray for in our own heart language, our own understanding, especially, I, I talked about this last time, that we, we, just, we just trust the Holy Spirit. How many believe that the Holy Spirit is infinitely more aware of what's needed than, than, than you are? He's infinitely more aware of what solutions there are than you are. Infinitely so. So how many are willing to say, I trust the Holy Spirit to help me pray? And that's the idea is I can, he, I'm praying in the Spirit all the time. I'm, doing, I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm speaking in the Spirit. I know that, I know that he, I'm being edified. I'll get to that in a minute. But I, what I, what I, the first thing I have to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is helping me to pray. He is helping me to speak to God in the language that God, the Holy Spirit, is giving my spirit to speak to Him. It's not even affected by my clumsy words or my unimagination or whatever it might be. I told you this last time. There are, there are times regularly where I'll just say this out loud. It's I'm praying particularly with Benjamin or another time. My friend, you know our friend Jason Lee Jones, who's been with us a couple of times, stricken with some weird throat cancer. Can you, don't you just hate the devil for that? Throat, Jason and throat cancer. Are you kidding me, really? Well, the treatment's passed. He's on, he's on the road to recovery. He's looking great, sounding great. And I told Jason he will, he will bring his alabaster box here and break it open, right? We're gonna, we'll, and, and, and so he's, he's, we're preparing for that. I actually told him to, his new album needs to be called Alabaster Box. We'll see if he takes my advice. But, but, I, but I was talking, I remember I was, I was, I had sent, he had had a particularly rough day of recovery. And I actually messaged him, just like I did with Ben. And I'm praying for him in my language. And then I just say, now, Jason, 
I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to ask God's help because I, need to pr- I really need to pray for you. And I say something to this effect. Lord, I want to pray now for Jason, and I'm going to pray in the language that you gave me. I need, you know, I, I don't want to be silly, but I need Jesus on the main line here. I want to, I'm going to speak in a language that I know the Holy Spirit, there's no, there's without, without flaw, without hindrance, without disconnect whatsoever, the Spirit searches and knows I'm going to speak to you in that language. And I know, I know that I know that I know there's going to be a result. So I do. The Spirit helps me to pray. Why should I, why do I pray in tongues? Why speak in tongues? Because Paul said so. He thought it was a good idea. That's good enough. Also because the the Holy Spirit helps me to pray and I trust Him to do so. I'd like, I could talk more about how, how this affects me personally. It's really more of a testimony. But for me, when I, when, with my own life, when I consider my responsibilities and opportunities and challenges in front of me, praying in tongues really really becomes more appealing it is it is i can't i cannot not i would be dishonest with you if i didn't say praying in the spirit is is central fundamental to how i survive as a as just the stuff that i'm able to do or what you know the things in front of me uh if i if i'm kneeling or i'm pacing oftentimes i'll meditate over the concerns that are in front of me and i believe because i believe that the holy spirit is is more aware of what needs to be said or done I'll trust Him. I'll pray in the Spirit. I will reflect on people, on tasks, on dreams, on desires. And I will paint those things on the canvas of my imagination while I pray. See, my mind is engaged. I'm thinking deeply about the the people or the circumstances I'm praying for. And as that happens, friends, uh, things begin to happen here. Uh, How I feel about people or circumstances begin to change. Oftentimes, there'll be a flash, a picture, an idea, a word that I'll flash across, a direction that I'll receive for myself or my family or the church. All of these things are impacted because I believe the Holy Spirit helps us pray. I trust Him to help me. How, do you trust Him? All right. So the Holy Spirit, he, I think we should pray in tongues because Paul said we should. He wants us to because he, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. And then going back to verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Again, now this is transcontextual. This is not about just, just being gathered in the community, but of course it can include it. But when we are praying, we are edifying ourselves. Would you say edifying ourselves? There are some people that I think shamefully, and they just need to be scolded for it, are saying, Paul is saying, it, what he's saying here is it's selfish to speak in tongues. Just do that at them. Just purse your lips and shake your head. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Here's the thing. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Here's some more gra- grammar fact. Speaks in tongues. Now, you don't just trust me. If, if it doesn't sound fun, it really is. That's a present active participle, which means that that is happening at the same time as the main verb. The main verb is edify, which means edify and speak are, are happening at the same time. Everybody say same time. Why is that important? Because as soon as I am speaking and as long as I am speaking, edifying is happening well paul says he who is speaking is being edified instantly there's no delay there's no delay and there's no pause to speak in an unknown tongue to to pray in the spirit immediately engages something in the spirit you say well how does that work i have all kinds of theories i don't know exactly i just know that it works 
that something happens in here that as I'm praying in the Spirit, besides the fact that it's worship, besides the fact that, that we see that in Exodus worship, besides the fact that it's helping me to intercede for other people, it's actually affecting me as well. And I am somehow better than I was before. Not more loved by God, not more saved, not better than you, but better than me. Somehow I am different. Especially, can I say this? Especially when I believe it. Especially when I come to this exercise believing that this is what the Bible says is true. And I take that promise and I begin and I exercise this gift with confidence in that promise. That something is happening in me. I'm being comforted. I'm being encouraged. I'm being consoled. I'm being stirred up. Some, some talk about it. That's fine. I, I'm all for it. Some talk about it like charging a battery. Like plugging a battery in and recharging that thing. And, and okay, great. I'll take that too. <laughs> And that they talk about praying in the Spirit and, and building yourself up so that you can have something to give away. I do absolutely 100% believe that only edified people can edify others. And that, or I'll just say it this way, edified people edify others. And I think that, that, I don't think it's necessarily intended, but I think it's present that he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. I think that there's a a flow there that to, to, when I edify, when I edify myself through waiting and praying in the Spirit, it enables me to edify others, whether it's teaching or serving or ministering or prophesying or whatever else. A pastor asked me this week, one of the guys at the Lord, you know, your church is just knocking it out of the park and connecting with people all over the world and all over the state. But a pastor of a church in central Washington, a friend of a friend, kind of just hooked up. He's a guy that went to Liberty University, and now he's pastoring at Assemblies of God Church, and he's new to a lot of things. And he's saying, and he's asking me about how to prepare for messages and stuff. He's a, he's a former armor, Army Ranger and, uh, and uh, all this kind of thing. And, and uh, he says, and he wanted to say, how do you, how do you, he's like, I, I want to improve. I, I feel like there's more I need to do as I, to, 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 to you know, for, for teaching or whatever. And I said, well, you can do this, you can do that, you can do the other thing. And especially more formal times, obviously, we're kind of unpacking informally here tonight. I said, but here's what I do. I'll do this and that and the other thing. The number one thing I do is I pray in the spirit because I believe that to edify others, I need to edify here. And he said, what? You know, like, like that's part of your preparation. Ow, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's something that I try to protect as much as I can. Okay, so edified people edify others. I, I, what happens in here will affect what you accomplish out there. Along these lines, the Jude will write and says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's verse 20. And again, fun with grammar, both building and praying are present. They have our present participles. The main verb is keep. So building... And praying are happening at the same time as keep. So we can say that praying in the Spirit is something that is concurrent with or happens at the same time with building up our faith, both of which, Paul, uh, Jude says, keep us in the love of God. Praying in the Spirit is something that is my, I don't get it, but somehow this part of edifying and partnering with the Spirit, it's, it, it's building up, it's strengthening my faith. Beautiful. But this informs me. I I, this is what the Bible says is true, and I bring this belief with me into this exercise. One more thought, and then one that intrigues me and inspires me, and I, 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 I'd like to say I dare you to figure it out with me. In verse 18, 
Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Okay, why did Paul say that? And what's he mean by that? Really? This, Paul is saying here, he, he actually just says, I think, in, and he's talking to the Corinthians, and we know that apparently they had quite a you know, thing going on. But Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all, and, I'm, and, I, and I thank God that I do. Can you hear that again? The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, I speak in tongues more than you all, and I thank God that I do. Interesting. He speaks in tongues a lot. He did so so much that he was confident that he did so even more than all of the Corinthians. Now, this was not, we should not analyze this to mean, does he mean more than any one of them or all of them together, or how much did he mean? Or This is not about trying to figure out how much or how often that we're not trying to measure how spiritual we are here. The point is that Paul, leading into this, Paul was conscious of the volume of time that he invested into praying in tongues, and that he was thankful to God for the impact that it had on his life. He was conscious of the time he'd given to it, and he was aware of the value it had had on his life. We don't, we, don't, we, we don't often give ourselves like that to something unless we are aware of its value. If it doesn't do something. Paul believed, he knew by experience that this exercise, this expression, this charismatic expression was valuable to him personally. So much so that he says it out loud. Now, again, as Jay, Jay referenced our, our fascination with ourselves that we parade on social media, Uh, guilty. But uh, uh, someone asked me if I was on social media. I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love myself. I'm all over the place. Um, uh, (laughs) I hope that that comes across as a joke. But uh, 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 it might be close to home. But but for for Paul, for a, a person from his historical culture and his his geographical area, for them to to single themselves. In other words, Paul would not have posted selfies. Paul was not a selfie guy. He wouldn't have, not because it, we, we, I'm, I'm trying to say that we shouldn't because, you know, we post pictures of ourselves, but their culture, they valued belonging, blending in, being, your value was more about who, who, the, the group of people you were a part of. And to single yourself out would have been kind of not um, b- different bordering on rude, like, whoa, that's strange to differentiate yourself. Paul, several times in his writing, and Ben Witherington, who was a conservative, not a Pentecostal guy, Ben Witherington III recognizes that Paul often will step outside and talk openly about his own charismatic life and expression. And for Paul to do that from his culture means that it was a big, big deal. It had to be significant for him if he, for him to do that. It wasn't like you and I, we just ran a law for I'm doing right now. For Paul, this had to be a very big deal. It was a, that this charismatic activity was a very, very significant part of his life. But again, it's not here for us to diagram or debate or to compare. This is here in the passage, I believe, to inspire us, to instruct us, and to invite us to join him. I want to find out, like Paul, I want to discover and experience for myself what it means to be able to say, oh, man, I'm so thankful for this gift and the impact and the change and the value that it has in my life.
because Paul says we should, because it helps me to pray. It's an expression of worship, as we have already previously talked about, and it, and it, it builds us up. It edifies us. There's so many good reasons for this good gift in our life. So there's, the, there's some why. Let me just close with how. How I would, if you were to ask me, and let's pretend that you are because you're here tonight. If you were to ask me, hey, Deb, yeah, how should I approach this? What's some ways that I should approach praying in the Spirit or speaking in tongues? First of all, I would uh, uh, be aware. Would you all say be aware? I would be, when I pray in the Spirit, be aware. I am a, be aware of the, of the Holy Spirit Himself. Be aware of His immediate presence in your life. Be aware of His surrounding and saturating, empowering presence. Be aware. Awareness changes everything. Start with an awareness of His presence. Don't start by thinking you need to conjure Him up or rub a lamp or maybe He'll show up. But start with the fact that because of Christ, the Holy Spirit is immediately present. He is immediately present. He is fully present now. Pray with an awareness that He is fully present. It will change the way you pray. Be aware. Secondly, believe. Oh, everybody say believe. Believe that He is working and that His work is working. Believe that, the Holy, that as you're praying, the Holy Spirit is at work and that what He is doing is fruitful. It's having an effect in your life. In your life and from your life, both both in a way of edification and in the way of intercession. Believe that He is powerfully working. And the third thing I would say is be diligent. Be aware, believe, and be diligent. Too many times folks save expressions in tongues for a specialized expression in worship or a a special shout or when they're in the mood. But remember, volitional means you choose. You exercise and submit your will to the Holy Spirit. Be diligent. Pray in the the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Paul says do it all the time, without ceasing even. Do so often. Determined to find out by experience what Paul knew about this, how valuable this is in your life. Put this gift to use for you, for your family, and to your church. Amen? Amen. That's all I have to say about that tonight. That's all I have to say. Maybe we could have a musician or two come back, and we could close in a time of worship. And, uh, and maybe we could just do that, just spend some time. And uh, we, if you need to step out, this might be a good time as our musicians are coming. Let's stand together. And if folks need to slip out because they've got stuff to do or places to go, they can do that. But if we want to just wait upon the Lord for a few minutes, I want to encourage you to do that uh, with our musicians.